0: All right, and welcome to another exciting episode of uh, Sports Biz from an agent's perspective. Um, you're with your host, Zila, a.k.a. Chester Mbekela. Um, exciting one we got lined up for you guys. Um, we are now on episode number 21. All right, exciting times, man. Exciting times. Um, 2022 has really kicked off on a positive note, um, you know, for my agency and just you know in general I think um, I'm just feeling really good about this year but yeah before we get into that um, this podcast is probably sponsored by limitless athlete membership right this is a social network platform um, that caters for athletes coaches and teams right this is a platform where athletes coaches and teams are able to connect um, and are able to actually you know, get in touch with each other and form sort of like a community. On this platform, there is no agent intermediation. All right, so uh, this platform gives athletes an opportunity to get in touch with teams and actually negotiate their own contracts. Same goes for coaches as well. It's an opportunity for coaches to get in touch with teams and also negotiate their own contracts. This platform is also amazing Um, and a great way for teams to also advertise rosters on their um, teams. right. So that's what the platform is used for. It is a social network platform. And another great thing about the platform is that it also allows players and coaches who want to better themselves, you know, educationally, they can actually take an online digital marketing course, which is available on the platform. But If they take the course, then they're able to learn skills such as web development, social media content creation, social media marketing, which involves, um, you know, learning how to run paid advertising campaigns on social media platforms. Right. Learners are also able to learn um, how to use Google Ads, Google AdSense. Um, they also get to learn how to use uh, video marketing using platforms like YouTube Vimeo and so forth and then lastly um, learners are also able to learn search engine optimization which is very useful for helping your website rank higher if you're someone who owns a website like a small business and you want your website to appear on Google search engine then you need the skill of search engine optimization and this is where we teach as well you know the art of blogging and content creation to make sure that you know your site is able to rank higher on Google and then the last skill is web design with video streaming um, platform so the learner is able to learn how to build a website but make sure that it's got uh, video streaming on it so for example You could be able to build your own youtube you know sort of like website you could be able to build your own netflix all right and these are tech skills that are very relevant in this day and age so if you're someone who's tech savvy and who's got an interest in technology this course is available for you all right it's optional so don't worry it's not something you have to do it's optional Um, but it's something that i encourage because we really are in the digital, you know, revolution or digital era, and these are the type of skills that can actually help you as an athlete or a coach, you know, to basically start sort of like a side business for yourself. Or if you don't want to start a side business, it could help you maybe work as a freelancer for you know a large corporation that requires someone of these you know type of skills. So there's just no limit. See what I did there? <laughs> There's just no limit to what you can do with um, you know, these skills that you can learn with online digital marketing. So have a look at it. There's a demo page which shows a video and a demo uh, video, how can I say? A demo class on it, all right? So check it out if you're interested. All right, and after the break, today we're actually gonna talk about um, the pro sporting culture in Japan. Okay, so we're going to have a look at, um, you know, various sports and I'm going to talk about just the culture um, of the sporting world or the business of sport here in Japan. All right. So don't go anywhere. And the platform can be found at the following website, www.limitlessathlete.net. That is www.limitlessathlete.net. All right, so make sure to check it out. All right, see you guys after the break. All right, and welcome back, man. I hope you guys didn't go too far. Um, If you went for a drink of water or went to go take a piss, I'll understand. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, man, so today's um, topic, we're going to talk about um, just the the pro sporting culture in Japan. Um, You know, as some of you may know, um, I'm. You know, I'm a sports agent, football agent registered here in Japan. Uh, but before becoming a professional football agent, I was actually a uh, pro and semi-pro rugby player here in Japan. So I really got to witness, um, you know, just the sporting culture from a different sporting code. And now that I've crossed over and I'm in another sporting code, there are certain similarities. But um, I'm just going to share, you know, just... Things that I've noticed about just the professional um, atmosphere, or the professional sporting industry within Japan. Um, I'm not going to keep it only to rugby and soccer, we're going to include basketball and we're just going to touch a little bit on baseball as well because that's another sport. That's actually the biggest sport here in Japan. Number one is baseball, and then number two is uh, soccer or football. And then number three, I would say, is basketball. And then number four is like usually the Japanese sports, like you'll get your, um, you know, either table tennis or judo and stuff. I'd say rugby, in terms of, you know, the most popular sports in Japan, I would say rugby is probably either number five or number six. Um, I definitely think the Rugby World Cup of 2019, which was hosted here in Japan, fucking. Epic event, man. I really do think it did um, a hell of a lot in really boosting, you know, the sporting codes um, Notoriety, you know within the country and I really do think that a lot more people, you know Have really taken a fancy to rugby as a result? I remember the one time I was jogging and I was jogging past the park That's usually by my apartment and I noticed, you know kids Um, that were mainly like soccer players you know they were playing rugby (laughs) they didn't know what the fuck they were doing but you know it was just encouraging to see you know them just you know picking up the ball and running and trying to tackle each other a lot of forward passes but um, it's the interest that really struck me you know it was the fact that it was just after the world cup and it, it was just you know really encouraging to see just kids having a try at it, you know, just really trying it out, basically. But in this lifetime, I don't think rugby is ever going to surpass um, basketball, baseball and uh, football. You know, those those to- those are like the top three. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just the first point um, I want to get into when referring to, you know, the post sports industry in Japan is that it is in a very very healthy financial situation um you know teams in Japan generally, especially when they're trying to get like overseas talent they pay they pay top dollar, you know they offer big contracts to overseas talent because the thing about Japanese teams is that if they're gonna get an import player, you've gotta be a guy who's already firing on all cylinders, you know they're one of those. You know, it's it's one of those, um, how can I say, industries where they don't want to recruit a guy who's still developing. You know, that's not their MO. Japanese teams, they want a guy who's established. Um, like, if you want to stand a good chance of playing high level in Japan, you must at least have been a professional sportsman in your country or wherever you're playing for at least three years or more. You know, that's that's just how they feel. And I'll make reference, for example, in South Africa, um, you know, rugby is arguably, you know, probably the biggest sport in SA at the moment because of the fact that the Springboks do so well. And because the Springboks do so well, that's created like um, sort of a demand for South African rugby players. Like there are so many (laughs) South African rugby players playing here in, um, in Japan. And it's because of the Springboks dominance. You know, and usually, obviously, um, their first choice would be to go for a guy who plays for South Africa, and yada yada and yada yada. And they usually offer them big contracts, you know, close to a million dollars just for one season, for a guy to just come over and play um, one season in Japan. And then obviously, if the guys played, um, hasn't played for the Springboks, sorry, if the guys only played like um, senior provincial, like for example, Super Rugby. Or um, curry cup level, um, then that dude would mm, most probably he'd get a lower tier contract, but it would still be worth a lot of money when you convert it into the South African rand, you know. So, yeah, man, they they love experienced players because how they see it is that um, when the guy comes over he's going to serve as sort of like a mentor for the younger guys. So that's why um, Japanese clubs are willing to pay top dollar for the right you know, amount of players or the, or the right type of players is so that they can come into you know, their organization and actually serve as like mentors, you know, teach um, the younger guys coming through you know, the skills from a tier one nation. Because you know? South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Wales ireland england france those are pretty much considered like tier one countries i think japan is still tier two ish but they're definitely fighting to be a tier one because i mean they were the first asian team to reach a playoff like a playoff stage during the rugby world cup and i mean respect to them because i mean they went down to south africa you know in the playoff um stages Which is ironic, because (laughs) at the 2015 World Cup, they fucked us up, man. Um, They beat the Springboks. So that was a very big deal for them, you know, it really was. As a result, um, they actually made a movie based on that experience, you know, about beating South Africa at the World Cup. So that's how much it meant to them. And understandably so, man, because no one saw that shit coming. So thanks a lot, Hana Kameya. Fucking hell. (laughs) But anyway, I don't want to get into that. But yeah, um, I'm going to blame the coach who was in charge of the team at the time. All right. And then um, just looking at uh, the next point when looking at uh, the pro sports industry of Japan. um, The characteristics, you know, of the sporting environment um, in Japan. Man. I'll tell you this from a personal experience, you know, moving over to Japan to play rugby and uh, joining um, Lion Rugby Lion Rugby team, which is based in Chiba, uh, Division 2 side. They play in the Japan East Division 2. Man, the first thing I noticed, man, about the players is they're, they're hardworking, very hardworking. But... You know, being from South Africa, we're no strangers to hard work ourselves when it comes to, um, you know, putting in the work, you know, at training and stuff like that. But I was just so amazed to see the repetition from the players. Like before training started, like uh, my first training session with the uh, uh, Lion Rugby team. So I noticed, you know, two scum halves passing to each other. You know, just the repetition. I think they must have made something close to about a thousand passes. This is before training started. They must have done at least about a thousand passes, you know, um, maybe 500, you know, from the left-hand side, and then another 500 from the right-hand side. Just punching, man, just, you know, um, getting in those reps. And that was really admirable to see, you know. It was really good to see. It reminded me of back in the day during our academy days because that's how we used to do before training Um, and then obviously post training as well you know after the training session same thing you know a guy in your position will usually approach you and be like listen you want to practice you want to do some extras and I promise you if you're a foreigner coming in to play in Japan and if they like if your teammate approaches you and says to you listen are you interested in doing some extras with me you better fucking say yes. Because if you say no, I've got to go, blah, blah, blah. I promise you, you're already creating a very negative, you know, sort of like stigma to your name because how they're gonna view you is you're just a guy who's willing to do the minimal, um, you know, work ethic that's required. But you're, you're not really, you're not about the grind. And I promise you, if you expose yourself in that way, You've pretty much, yeah, you, I don't want to say you put a black mark, but you've lost a little bit of their respect, you know, because Japan is very big on, like I say, work ethic. So if you're going to do the bare minimum and then want to fuck off, then it's really not going to do well for you um, in terms of like, even with the team morale and just, yeah, their respect for you as the import player. You know, you've got to set an example. Especially for the younger guys, because now if you're going to be outworked by the younger player, what does that say about you? You know So yeah, man I had to make sure that, yeah, um, I'm about the ground that I stick around um, at least an hour or two after training, just doing extras, you know, doing a bit of fitness, um, working on my strength and conditioning, that type of stuff. If you display that type of um, initiative and work rate, you'll do well playing in Japan you'll do very well. Um, and then in other sporting codes, so if you're playing either Major League or USL in the USA, if you're playing PSL level or NFD in South Africa, if you're playing um, obviously English Premier or probably um, first division, second division you know, in the UK and obviously in France as well, League One, League Two, In Spain, La Liga, and so forth. If you're basically playing um, League 1 or League 2 in your country, then you stand half a chance of coming to Japan. Don't get it twisted. Japanese clubs have been known, especially like in the J1, they have been known to turn down some guys with high level experience in other countries. And they just say, nah. They don't believe that he can adapt to um the Japanese way of life or the Japanese game plan, you know, so to speak so and and I, and I always say this to guys that reach out to me that want me to represent them and and let's say the guys played like maybe league one in i don't know, let's say for example, this is just an example, let's say in either Poland or in um I don't know iceland or you know wherever denmark or whatever there is still a chance that a j1 team won't be interested in them because maybe their perception is that the level that this person is playing is not as high as the j1 that's how confident the japanese are when it comes to um you know their level of competitiveness within the j1 and rightly so because Japan is actually pretty highly ranked in the world rankings. But we'll get to that in a moment. You know. So yeah, I definitely admire their, you know, just their dedication and you know just um their, their will to always want to improve. And that's where the art of repetition comes in. Because I mean, when you're repeating the same, you know, type of practice or the same skill over and over again, it can get a bit monotonous. But for them, that's how you achieve greatness, is by repeating and doing the very thing that, you know, maybe sometimes you just don't feel like doing, or maybe you find it too boring for them. It's like, no, no, no. You got to do it. You got to go through that motion. You got to go through that motion over and over and over and master it. You know, I've also seen this a lot of times Every time I jog past like a a junior high school or a high school and I see the the teams in like different sporting codes, like for example, let's say badminton or tennis, they literally practice their swings. They'll go like maybe 100 times just swinging in midair, just swinging their rackets in midair just to practice that motion. You know, so yeah man um I, I i admire it and i actually do believe that's where the whole term of muscle memory comes in because when you teach your body a certain movement and you literally ingrain that movement as part of your daily movement basically then when it comes to game day it's just going to become like involuntary because you, your body remembers how to move in that motion you know so yeah, that, that's very interesting But yeah, I don't want to go into <laughs> the biomechanics of, um, of the body's movement You know, when it comes to sport So yeah, we'll just keep it light But I'm just explaining to you why um, the Japanese are so big into repetitive movements Is I believe um, it's due to the whole, you know, muscle memory and the body remembering You know, that certain motion when it comes to having to perform on game day all right, and then, um, yeah, man, just um, going back to the rugby, let's just look at how much Japanese rugby has improved. Now, if you go back, you know, to, you know, as back as 1995, I think in 1995, Japan was involved. I think they did travel down to South Africa and play in the Rugby World Cup. And I think they must have gotten hammered somewhere in the hundreds to zero in that world cup i think they did play against new zealand um, in that world cup and i think they got hammered 100 and something no and they just kept coming back to world Cups, and i remember the the other world cup i watched them play in was the 2011 world cup fast forward a couple of years later where they play again where they played against the all blacks again and again they got hammered. <laughs> they got the beating of their lives. Um, Weighing to the hundreds. Again, I remember Toi Alva, one of the star players for New Zealand. Still one of my favorite players. He was on the wing that day. And he was just hammering them with tries, man. Sonny Bill Williams and all those guys. They were just having a field day. You know, just scoring tries against the Japanese. And then fast forward. 2015. Japan. Giant killers slayed the Springboks, you know, so the, the improvement has been there. And I think, you know, uh, what contributes or what contributed to the improvement of, um, of the game is definitely the amount of foreigners that they've brought in to play you know, like in, in the top league. You know, and I think what's also helped is uh, Japan have this rule that there are only like, a certain amount of foreigners allowed on the field at one time. And I think they, you know, they implemented this rule to make sure that Japanese players get maximum amount of game time. You know, because it's really not going to help a nation if you're going to have this influx of foreigners and then you're going to have a star studded foreigner team of guys who are just going to play, make tons of money, and then go home. That doesn't help the local team. So I think that's why um, they've got this rule in place that there are only a certain amount of foreigners allowed on the field at one time, and then this guarantees that, you know, their local players get the exposure and they get the opportunity to play you know high tempo and high level rugby you know it's it's really good it's really really good and on the flip side it's also good for foreigners as well I man because that means that when foreigners come over to play you don't have to worry about your body taking a beating weekend in weekend out because that's the one thing I man about um you know, pro sports, whether it's rugby, whether it's football, whether it's um, basketball, is that sometimes, as the import player, you're expected to play so much in other countries, so that wears your body down. Whereas in Japan, you get—I mean, you get to play, but you also get ample rest as a foreigner. So in some games, you might come off the bench, not because you play badly the week before, but because of the whole uh foreigners on the field at one time policy so guys are actually able to preserve their bodies (laughs) in retrospect when you're a foreigner you're actually getting paid to play (laughs) i mean sorry not paid to play you're actually you're actually getting paid to practice more than play and obviously you know what you bring off the field in terms of um uh, mentoring the younger guys and teaching them about being a professional because usually the um, the foreign imports are the guys who are fully professional and then sometimes the local boys, the local Japanese guys are usually guys who are semi-pro. So they will be the guys who work and play for the team. All right. And this usually happens because the team's um, within yeah especially within rugby baseball and basketball the teams are usually owned by corporations they're owned by companies so what happens is when these teams get foreign players to come they are actually employed by the company so for example I'll make an example so um, let's let's start with rugby so let's say a team like Toyota Blitz or Rico um black rhinos or xerox um sorry not canon canon eagles you know a team like canon eagles so what happens is when they get a foreign player the company the corporation canon offers sort of like makes a job offer to that player to come over to japan and play for the team same as in basketball um you get some teams that are also owned by corporations that these teams um as a corporation will send a job offer to the player for the player to come over so in basketball it's it's half half you get some teams that are that are just their own private organizations and then you get some teams that are owned by corporations same as in baseball i think it's also half half but i think in baseball it's also more corporations because you've got the Fukuoka um, Softbank Hawks, you've got um, uh, the Hanshin Tigers from Osaka which are owned by Castle um, and then you get other teams that are you know Tokyo Giants for example they are privately owned like they're a private organizations just Tokyo Giants you know so within baseball and within basketball it's half-half but within the rugby it's 100% uh company owned all the teams that play um professional and semi pro rugby are owned by the corporations and this was the corporations way of the co- uh, like uh, corporate social responsibility you know so it was actually smart by them um in doing this it was really smart because you know it really it is a great way for the corporation to give back to society, and you're doing it through sport. you know now, for the local guys, it's an amazing opportunity because it guarantees them you know job security, and the guys, even after they finish playing for um, the team that's owned by the corporation, they can work for the company until they retire, you know until their heart's content. So that's pretty much the culture that that is within. Pro sports in Japan is that there's a lot of corporate um, involvement and influence, because most of the teams are own, like are owned by corporations. In football, it's totally different as the majority of the teams are privately owned. They are their own private organizations. You know, for example, two weeks ago I traveled to Shimizu in Shizuoka on my annual team visits. And I visited um, Shimizu S-Pulse. Man, they are such an amazing organization, such a well-run and organized professional football team. And they are their own private organization. They're not owned by a corporation at all, you know. And all of the other teams I've visited as well: FC Tokyo, um, Yokohama F-Marinos, um, Yokohama FC as well. Well, they've been relegated to J two now. All of those teams are all privately owned, and majority of the teams in the j one j two and j three so in football, it's a totally different um sort of um ownership as opposed to professional rugby and professional baseball and professional basketball where there's a lot of team involvement i mean a lot of uh, corporation involvement all right so yeah i I just thought I'd share that um that point. Um, about you know just the pro sports uh, sporting culture over here, you know the one thing that I actually think is an advantage of corporations owning teams is the fact that it gives the teams a lot more financial muscle, and as a result, that's why teams are able to sign such lucrative deals to marquee players overseas. That's why they're able to offer massive contracts to overseas talent coming through is because they have the financial backing of the corporation. And I mean most of the corporations here in Japan, dude, <laughs> I swear to you, I kid you not, most of these corporations are at least 90 to 100 years over. I mean imagine, it's you know companies like, you know, Toshiba, it's companies like Panasonic. You know, it's well-established brands that have been around for centuries on end so that's why i think it's such a good thing and it's such um you know how can i say a brilliant strategy that most of the professional sports teams in certain sporting codes here are owned by corporations that have existed for centuries you know it really helps the team in when it comes to branding you know it means that people that are brand loyal to, you know, your companies like your Panasonics or your Toyotas, it means that they're going to follow the team so much easier because the team is associated with this brand. Genius. Absolute genius, man. I fucks with it. I really think it's a brilliant strategy. And it's a strategy I'd like to see in more companies, not in more companies, sorry, in more countries. Because, again, like I said, um, you often hear of teams going you know, bankrupt and being in large amounts of debt. Now imagine if they've got part ownership or they are partly owned by a corporation. It would really get a lot of teams out of hot water when it comes to being in debt. You know? And with reference to corporations, let's look at now professional football. Let's look at a company like Rakuten, which sponsors uh, Vissal Kobe. Now Rakuten, they were responsible for being able to get a high-profile name to come and play in Japan, such as um, Andres Iniesta. Because, let's be realistic, I think if Iniesta, um, if Rakuten was not involved, a Japanese team would have really had to, you know, they would have really had to dig deep in their pockets to afford such a big name such as Andre Iniesta. You know, I mean, the guy makes 30 million US dollars per season. That's how much his contract is worth with Vissal Kobe. All thanks to Rakuten. And Rakuten doesn't even own Vissal Kobe. They're just like one of the main um, sponsors. You know, so those are the things. And Rakuten wasn't only able to get um, Iniesta, at some point, they had Iniesta, David Villa, and Fernando Torres as well. All playing for Vizal Kobe. Where do you think that the money came from to do that? Because all three names are fucking expensive players. So Rakuten had to intervene. Otherwise, Vizal Kobe would have never been able to strike a deal and be able to afford all three players on max contracts like that. They would have never been able to. So this is where having corporation backing you know has such an advantage so yeah um yeah i mean it's, it's it's really exciting and it's really such a different way of um of running the pro sports industry and um yeah it's just been amazing to witness it's really been amazing to witness and like i said it's made me not be so surprised as to why the, the pro-sporting culture is in such a healthy state here in Japan, you know, it's definitely um, because of the corporation involvement, you know, so, um, yeah, man, so, I, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, for this episode, we'd, um, we'd dive in and just talk um, a little bit about the pro-sporting culture, because Japan is one of those countries that is just very closed off to the world, Like a lot of people know a country such as Japan exists, but they don't really know, um, you know, like the pro-sporting environments, the corporate environment. They know nothing about Japan because Japan is one of those countries that doesn't really go out of their way to market themselves to the rest of the world. It's really one of those places whereby you got to come over here and witness it for yourself. You know, I remember for myself as well, Um, when I was still in France and I got the opportunity and the offer to come and play here in Japan, I had no fucking clue what to expect, you know. And the person who was responsible for um, organizing uh, my contract to Japan, the one thing he said to me, because I had a little bit of, not necessarily arrogance, but I had the cockiness of saying, yeah, man, I'm sure I know how Japan's going to be. You know, I played in Hong Kong. So I'm pretty certain, you know, like just quickly. And the one thing that person said was, listen, Japan is nothing like Hong Kong. And when he said that, that had me a little shook because it literally meant that, fuck, you know, I, I was literally in the dark, man. I didn't know what to expect. That scared me, but it excited me at the same time because I was like, listen, you know, whatever... Um, is thrown my way I'm sure I'll be able to handle it And I'm just going to enjoy the experience And as a result I did man. You know, I spent two amazing seasons With um, Lion Corporation um, And I enjoyed, I enjoyed my, The last two years Of my rugby career It really meant a lot Because like I say um, A lot of the values That the Japanese players were displaying Was pretty much how I played my rugby my whole career, you know, just the work ethic, you know, putting in the time, putting in the effort, the repetitions, you know, the hard work while no one is watching. I'm the type of guy, man, that when putting in the hard work, I don't like to document it. I don't have time to be Facebooking it or Instagramming it to show you how hard I work for me. You know, it's it's just it's a habit I developed since I was in high school that I let the results speak for themselves. So if I'm playing well, then you better know that, I, you know, I put in the work. And that's the same thing I witnessed with the with the players over here. They weren't interested about documenting it. Instagram videoing it. No. Everybody's phone was in the bag and everybody was just out on the field putting in the hard yards. You know, that's the respect I gained for Japanese athletes, you know, because I just felt, um, I had a similar value to them. And I'm one of those people, if I identify a characteristic in you that I know I have within myself, you've immediately got my respect, you know. So, yeah, um, I just thought, you know, on this episode, we talk about the environment, um, that is within the japanese sporting industry and yeah man every single individual that i've ever met or that i've ever come into contact with whether they were from south africa australia new zealand um usa when they come in and play in japan they always say they you know they're having the time of their lives you know they're enjoying the experience so yeah yeah, you know, I hope if you're a rugby player, or soccer player, basketball player, or baseball player, and you've got dreams about coming to, you know, apply your trade here in Japan, I'd say definitely do it. You know, for football players, keep reaching out to me, man. I love that on LinkedIn every day, man. I'm constantly connecting with pro football players, inquiring about Japan, and I love that. You know, I really love that. I think more Japanese teams in all sporting codes are being very open to having, you know, foreign imports come in and basically bring another dimension to, you know, to the, to the game in whichever sporting code. So it's a beautiful thing, man. And and it just makes me appreciate, you know, sport that much more because it reinforces why I love working in this industry. You know? All right, so uh, thanks for listening, guys. You know, thanks for stopping by, man. I really appreciate it. Um, Just before I go, yeah, man, just um, keep supporting the podcast. I really appreciate you guys. Um, You can support the podcast. You can donate um, to the podcast. Um, You can go on the Limitless Athlete Membership site. I'll put the link on the description. Um, You can also get the Sports Biz podcast merch, I'll also uh, make sure to put the link on the description as well. Uh, follow us on social media at m.a.g um, underscore agency group on Instagram. The link will also be in the description. So I just want to connect with you guys, man. Connect with me. Um, let me know what you think about uh, the podcast. And if you got any you know, queries or inquiries about the pro and culture in Japan, hit me up um i'd love to hear you guys questions or thoughts you know so thank you once again for stopping by um and this is sports biz from an agent's perspective take care bye